folks, JR, back for another episode of Echoes of Shannon Street Case File. It's going to be episode 66, Soft Nose. Alright folks, we're going to continue on with the investigators and their follow-up investigation of the criminal homicide of Officer Bobby Hester. We'll see where it leads us today. On Friday, January 14, 1983, this rider was instructed by Sergeant Holly to pick up three M16s and two shotguns that had been used by the tax squad officers on the assault of the residents at 2239 Shannon. Sergeant Holly advised that Officer C.R. Summers had already turned his M16 in on the 13th after he gave a statement, and his gun was MPD number 518, bearing serial number 9229777. a.m. on January 14, 1983, Lieutenant Maxey of the Tactical Squad did turn over to this rider 112-gauge Remington pump model 870, MPD number 237, serial number 1147510, Victor, that was used on the assault of the house by Patrolman H.A. Ray. I also received one 12-gauge remitting pump, model 870, MPD number 128, serial number, that looks like Sierra 531153, Victor, that was used by Sergeant K.K. McNair. I also received one M16 Colt MPD number 513, serial number 9224731, that was used by Officer D.A. Rutherford. I also received one M16 Colt MPD number 517, serial number 9220913 that was used by Officer D.C. Hubbard. I was advised by Lieutenant Maxey that Officer R.O. Watson's M16 had been turned over to his sergeant, Sergeant Fields. At this time, he could not locate the weapon as he, is, as he could not get a hold of Sergeant Fields, but that when the weapon was located, it would be brought to the security squad office. Also turned over to this rider was one blue bulletproof vest, which Patrolman Rutherford was wearing at the time of the assault that he had gotten from Officer Todd of the tax squad. And this vest bore serial number Tango Uniform 10100. All items that were received from Lieutenant Maxey were brought to the security squad office by the rider and turned over to Sergeant Holly. 1.27 p.m. on January 14, 1983, Lieutenant Mike Quinn of the tax squad did bring to the security squad office and turned over to this rider one M16 bearing MPD number 529, serial number 9246648, that he advised was the gun that R.O. Watson had used during the assault and that he had gotten it from Sergeant Field's locker where Sergeant Fields had put it after Officer Watson had given it to him. 
On Saturday, January 15, 1983, this writer was instructed by Sergeant D.R. Hawley to go to the Reserve Officer James Norton, Lieutenant R.B. Summers, Patrolman W.R. Aikens Holmes, and pick up their 38 caliber service revolvers that they had shot during the hostage situation at 2239 Shannon. Sergeant Hawley stated that one of the male blacks had been shot with a 38 caliber. This writer proceeded to Reserve Officer James Norton's home at 1705 Ozam and did receive from him a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson 4-inch blue steel bearing MPD number 1749, serial number Delta 926467. The writer then proceeded to the residence of Lieutenant R.B. Summers, 1236 Salem, there and did pick up from Officer Aiken's wife a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson 4-inch blue steel bearing MPD number 4774. These weapons were returned to the security squad office and turned over to Sergeant Hawley, where they could be later test-fired. Monday, January 17, 1983, at 12 noon, Ryder did have the four M16s along with the shotgun carried by Sergeant McNair test-fired at the range. The test-firing was done by Patrolman J.T. Holland, 3387 of the Ordnance Section, Holland was out there when I went through the academy in 1990 under the supervision of Captain Dickey, commander of the ordnance section. Shotgun was fired three times and empty holes were put in brown envelope and properly marked. All four M16s were fired three times apiece and after each weapon was fired, the empty shell cases were placed in an envelope and properly marked and the three spent rounds were placed in three separate envelopes and properly marked. A total of 12 rounds were fired from the four M16s. The ammunition used was soft-nose ammunition. The shotgun that was carried by Officer Ray was not test-fired at this time due to the fact that it is at the toxicology lab having blood samples done on it. On Thursday, January 20, 1983, 2 p.m., the 4M16s were again test-fired in the same manner by Officer Holland under supervision of Captain Dickey using hardball ammunition, and the shell cases and the spent rounds were again properly recovered and marked in the same manner. The 38 caliber pistols that had been recovered from Officers Norton, Summers, and Aiken had been turned over to Lieutenant Barney Wright of Crime Scene on January 18, 1983, for test firing. And Lieutenant Barney Wright did test fire the weapon and did return the weapons along with the spent rounds to Sergeant Wheeler January 19, 1983. Kerry is indicated. That's unusual that he just dropped the pistols off and didn't observe the test himself. Now, it's not that I don't trust crime scene personnel, but by leaving them to do the test and not being observed by security squad, it leaves open the possibility that crime scene could have done something. That's the whole reason you stay and observe the test. Not that you don't trust them, but you don't want any accusations later that anything could have happened during the test firing that you didn't see and notate.
On Tuesday, February 8, 1983, these riders were instructed by Sergeant D.R. Hawley to take Officer Hester and Swill's log sheet and to check on the calls they made and also to check their lieutenants, R.B. Summers, as the autopsy showed that Officer Hester had .03 alcohol in the system at the time of the autopsy. Sergeant Hawley advised for us to try to determine if anyone had seen the officers in a drunken condition while they were working. Sergeant B.O. Wheeler did contact Lieutenant R.B. Summers at his residence, and he advised that between 8 and 8.30 p.m. on January 11, 1983, he had drank coffee with officers Hester and Swill at Topps Barbecue at Jackson and Hollywood. Got the best cheeseburger in town. He stated he stayed there with them for about 30 minutes, and this being 30 to 45 minutes before they made the Shannon call. Lieutenant Summer stated he cannot be certain on the time, but he does know for a fact that neither officer was drinking and sat across the table from him that he didn't smell anything, nor did either officer act in an unusual manner. The riders then took the log sheets of Officer Swill and Hester and did proceed to the first call they made upon reporting to duty, which was 2327 Vandale on a suspicious person call at 4.15 p.m. The complainant, Diane Williams, who lives at 2327 Vandale, 452-8396, stated she placed the call and met the officers. She observed some suspicious persons in a field, looks like east of her house, possibly west of her house. When the officers arrived, she went out to the car and directed them towards suspicious persons. She advised she talked to the driver of the car, which from her description would be Officer Swill, and the passenger of the car, who she described as dark-headed with a mustache, never actually said anything. She stated this officer just kept smiling, and his eyes looked funny at her, but she didn't smell anything. Sergeant Wheeler asked the complainant if she would know the officers if she saw them again, and she advised they're the ones that were over on Shannon Street. The next call the officers made was on alarm call to 1337 Warford at 5.42 p.m. This was found to be Dites and Ford's company. It was located down a long access road with a fence absolutely around the building. The officers remained on this call for two minutes. We were unable to locate anyone who had seen the officers. I know some of you are wondering why they would want to try to verify if Officer Hester or Officer Swill had alcohol in their system. Officer Hester's dead, so why would it matter? But the official autopsy shows he had alcohol in his system, so you can't ignore it. Because if you do, somebody will say something about why you didn't investigate it. So that is part of the entire investigation that has to be checked out.
The next call made by the officers was to 3998 Wales at 5.59 p.m. This was found to be a vacant lot. The next call made by the officers was to 2138 Chelsea. This was a fast service gas station and drive-in grocery and was in regards to a suspicious person call. We talked to the complainant, Cometrius Taylor, female black, home phone 279-4270, work phone 272-1983. She stated she was on duty January 11, 1983, and did recall the officer's making the call. She further stated she knew Officer Hester and Swill and had spoken with them for quite some time. No, I'm sorry, had known them for quite some time. Many times during their tours of duty, they would stop in her place of business for conversation with her. She called them Smiley, who was Hester, and Squeal, who was Swill. On the night of the 11th, in addition to making the call there, they were at the station when they received uh, a call to 2239 Shannon. The complainant advises she remembers the incident well and will never forget it. She advised they were talking and carrying on with her and neither officer was drinking, and she never recalls either officer ever drinking. The next call made by the officers was 1043 North Barksdale at 655 on a mental case. This was found to be a bad number. The next call the officers made was to 870 Chelsea at 7.15 p.m. on an alarm call. We talked to the complainant, Jim Rutherford, 278-6568, and he stated he occasionally set his alarm off accidentally and would have been the person who met the officers, but he does not recall this particular incident. The next call the officers made was to 1401 Stonewall, 7.32 p.m., on an alarm call. The complainant, Johnny Galt, 7255016, stated his alarm did go off that night, but the officers checked the building and found it okay and left before his arrival. The alarm had gone off due to loose wiring. The next call the officers made was a 12.50 volantime on an alarm at 8.35 p.m. This was found to be Klondike School. The officers only remained on this call for three minutes. The next call the officers made was to 22.39 Shannon at 9.02 p.m. At the time they received this call, they were talking to Cometrius Taylor at the Imperial Gas Station at 2133 Chelsea. She did advise that the officers definitely were not drinking. We also found that the officers ate their supper at the Southern Kitchen, 2731 Range Line, at about 5 p.m. We interviewed the waitress, Jacqueline Stewart, female white, 21, home address 1497, Cowan, Three five eight five eight five five. Business phone three five eight five zero one three. She advised she knew both officers very well, and did remember them being there on the night in question about five p.m. And they remained 
there approximately 30 minutes. She advised they always set the front table, and on that particular night, they were both clowning around a lot and were talking to an off-duty officer, Sergeant Ed Harker. Sergeant Harker was trying to quit smoking and on a diet, and Swill was smoking, and Hester had a large piece of coconut cream pie. The waitress advised the two officers ate there occasionally. She knew them very well, and neither was drinking that night, and she had never seen them drink on duty. It should be noted this restaurant does not serve alcoholic beverages. Sergeant Ed Harker, assigned to North Precinct, 4-12 shift, was contacted at home, 386-7224. He advised that he had ate supper with Swill and Hester and that neither officer was drinking, nor did he smell any alcohol in them as he was sitting across the table from both of them. He stated that in the morning of January 11, when he got off duty, they'd all gone up to Yale and Raleigh Millington to stop and go where they had drank several six-packs of beer, and there was approximately eight, and I don't see the rest of that sentence there. Sergeant Harker advised that he left around 2 a.m., and he doesn't know whether Patrolman Hester was still there or had already left earlier. should be noted that during the conversation with Mrs. Kamitra Taylor, who the officers were with when they received a Shannon Street call, stated that she was distant relative to Lindbergh Sanders, and she was present on Monday, January 10, 1983, when another employee waited on Lindbergh Sanders at the place of business on Chelsea, she sold him some cigarettes, Carrie has indicated. Hi, right, folks, that's going to wrap up this episode. Glad y'all could join in as we follow along. As you can see, the, they have a choir practice after work, which is not unusual for police officers and that could have been where the percentage of alcohol was that was in the system but I don't know how much he drank and no idea how long it would take for that alcohol to get out of the system anyways folks appreciate you you know we'll be back in a few days do another episode till then I'll see you down the road